Boy, do we have a lot to talk about. But before we talk about it, I remind all of you listening and or watching, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering part of the CLNS Media Network. New customers join today. You'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Greg, let's start with the front office. A flurry of news yesterday and last night. Let's begin with Elliot Wolf. Ian Rappaport came out, said that uh, he would have control of the 53-man roster. Andrew Callahan followed up, saying that uh, Elliot Wolf does have personnel control in New England. Uh, your thoughts on those reports, and what are you hearing about Wolf? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, similar along those lines. Um, I think Giardi re- reported from the Senior Bowl that it was, it was going in this direction. It was just a matter of time before they... Um, settled on it or started to leak up excuse me um you know let's just deal with the personnel department first you know with uh elliot wolf in charge they're bringing on alonzo highsmith who elliot has worked alongside forever going back to the packers the browns um pat stewart is staying um he started his career here went off to philadelphia and carolina and then the rest is sort of staying put with matt grow with the college, uh, basically heading up college scouting. Um, <clears throat> you know, the personnel department, I really like what they've done. Um, I think they are basically an all-star staff. And these are guys, Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith, I'm very familiar with going back to my Green Bay days. Um, they uh, they are universally praised in, from the people that they worked with. You know, just to... Just to let you know a little inside baseball, so I texted um, John Schneider, the Seahawks GM, and John Dorsey, the former Chiefs and Browns GM, who's now a senior personnel executive with the Browns. um, Alonzo and Elliot both worked under John with the Browns, and almost immediately their their first response was, "I love those guys," and and you know they can't heap enough praise on both of them. And I think Elliot Wolf is a guy who, you know, probably should have been a GM already. Uh, he, he interviewed for a bunch, rose to number two in a couple of different departments. But I do think that, I think that his age, he's still, he's only 41. He seems like he's been around forever. Um, you know, I feel like I've been around forever. I'm 50. He's, he's barely <laughs> 40. And yeah. so I think, I think the prospect of hiring like a 35 year old, GM, especially back when he was trying to get those jobs, it might be a little bit different now because we're looking at, you know, the owners love these, you know, whiz kids and analytics and all this stuff. And, and I think that, I think that Elliot simply didn't get jobs because he, he, he looks young and he is young. And I think that that kind of stuff just turns off some owners, but I think there is no doubt that Elliot is qualified to run this department. I feel good about him running the personnel department that Alonzo is coming along with him makes it even better. Alonzo is known as one of these guys who he's sort of like a mix it, Mr. Fix it. He does have a tremendous uh, eye for talent. Um, he, he knows how to, as a former great player, University of Miami, number three overall pick uh, before injuries got the best of him. Um, he's still that player at heart and he knows how to talk to players. He knows how to look sort of into their athlete's soul and figure out what makes this guy tick. He can also help. He does a great job of helping the coaching staff. If there's a player they're having trouble reaching, um, getting the best out of, Alonzo can sort of bridge the gap between the player and the coaching staff to figure out what's best for the player. So, so in a lot of different ways, he's an asset. I think Pat Stewart is tremendous at what he does. Rose to VP at the uh, Panthers has a background with the Eagles and 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 how they've done things. Um, I think he's tremendous. Now, you know, Mac Rowe, you know, I have my issues with. I don't know how qualified he was to have that job before or now, but there's a lot of there's a lot of help around there. Brian Smith, personnel coordinator, Cameron Williams, the director of college scouting. Pat Smith is going to be there. Alonzo's going to be there. I just think you look at the totality of the personnel department. I really, really like what they've done, and I think they've set the Patriots up for success to upgrade the personnel, which is what we talked about. Um, you know, was the biggest thing in this offseason. Yeah, and Highsmith, you know, when he was in college the last couple of years with Miami, 
back-to-back top 10 classes recruiting wise and if you read up on what he was doing in Miami he really was as you explain him Greg as Mr. Fix-It obviously Mario Cristobal had the final call as the head coach that's how college works but Highsmith did a lot a lot of different things for that program recruiting keeping an eye on talent evaluating that talent working on relationships between recruits and the program, working on relationships between the guys that were on the team in Cristobal. So uh, just a, a great, great track record for Highsmith. And he's been in the league you know, for 29 years between a player, a scout, evaluator, in the front office. So you talk about vast networks with Wolf and Highsmith. You got pretty much everybody covered. How about Wolf's style? Greg, what should people expect? Obviously, this is the first time he has the job at the top of the mountain. What would you anticipate Wolf's style being? Um, well, a couple different things. I think in regards to the draft, um, I think he is going to be disciplined. He's not going to reach for players. Um I think that's sort of like the MO and, and I just want to caution people because you know, everything that everybody does, anytime somebody hires somebody like, for example, the Patriots hire Alex Van Pelt as offensive coordinator when he wasn't in charge of the offense in Cleveland. And they're looking for clues, what Alex Van Pelt is going to do. And also similar to his experience in green Bay, he was under, it was Mike McCarthy's offense. Cleveland was Stefanski's offense. We don't know what Alex Van Pelt's offense is going to be. Right. Like you can look at all that film all you want, but it's not going to tell you what they're going to do now that they are calling the shots really for the first time in their career. And the same thing goes for Elliot Wolf. You know, he was in Green Bay, and you can look at the track record that the Packers had, but that was Ted Thompson. Ted Thompson made the final call, and Ted Thompson was notoriously conservative. You know, he just – he never traded up. He usually traded back, um, you know, took the boring picks um, – didn't go into free agency at all. Maybe a few trades here and there. So you can't look back at that and say, well, that's what Elliot Wolf is going to do. Because I know both of those guys, Elliot and Alonso, when they were in Green Bay, they were the sort of liaison for Te- for Ted Thompson to the rest of the league, where you know they would be. They spent their days burning up the phones, talking about trades and and. Um, you know, draft scenarios, trade up scenarios and stuff like that. And and I know for a fact that they used to they they were very aggressive at that. But at the end of the day, Ted Thompson would say, Yeah, we're not going to do that. And they did a lot of work <laughs> for nothing. And so, you know, you know, I do think I do think it might and even it's tough to say, all right, well, look at John Schneider when he left Green Bay and he went to Seattle and he was in Washington at first for a year with Schottenheimer before Daniel Snyder got involved. Um, I think that it's, it's tough to say, oh, well, look what John Schneider did in Seattle as a blueprint. Well, that was Pete Carroll had the final call. Um, even though I do think there are more clues there in terms of John Schneider was in the position of Wolf and and Alonzo Highsmith before he went to Seattle. So I think that's a little bit more instructive, but I just say that these guys, these guys are disciplined. They're not going to overreach. They're looking for good ball players, guys who love ball, um, you know, usually pretty high quality guys and um, they're really good at it. I mean, you know, you look at the Packers, you look at where they went from, from like 2006, Mike McCarthy's first year, sort of after Mike Sherman was a disaster as coach and GM to where they got to the point where NFC championship game, Super Bowls, uh, annual contenders with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, a lot of that just stuff just came through the draft and finding really good players. So I think that's their forte. We've heard that Wolf is a tape guy. He's a tape guy through and through. Old school kind of feel, analyzing players. That's how he does it. Should we expect, I don't want to say a lack of, should we expect not a ton of analytical work driving their decisions, Greg, as they take over? Uh, it's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could say that. I mean, I, I when when I think of you know Elliot and Alonzo and even Pat Stewart, you know, I think of um, sort of old school scouts, and I think there's 
there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think I think football's too hard on the on the analytics front. I'm sure they're going to look at athletic scores and things like that and have their own matrix for that. That will factor into their, their decisions. I think they use all the tools available to them. But I think at the at, at the end of the day, it, you know, it boils down to is this player a good player and is is he going to help us? And I and I think they're they're pretty good at that. We've heard that Highsmith will have a senior level role, senior level executive within the front office. Should we just take that as, look, he's going to be Elliot Wolf's right-hand man. These guys worked together in Green Bay for, what, 13, 14 years. They worked in Cleveland together for a couple of years. And Wolf is really going to trust Highsmith as his top advisor. I know they talk about collaboration and everything. But when it comes down to it, are we talking right-hand man for Wolf and Highsmith? Is that the role? Pretty much. And, you know, while Elliot's busy as the primary football executive and, and you know, that has to do with a lot of things, contracts and stuff like that, I would say like, you know, Alonzo's going to be sort of his right hand man, you know, to the to the locker room, to the coaching staff um, has a lot of input there. But I wouldn't say that it's going to be these two guys only running the show. I think they're they're very good at collaboration. They're very good at at, at working within a group. And I think all of those guys, I think, um, you know, whether it's, you know, Wolf, Highsmith, Stewart, um, you know, Matt Grow, uh, Steve Cargyle, Cam Williams, like I, you know, all these guys are going to have input on what they're doing. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think that it's going to be Elliot's decision with Alonzo Highsmith being his close counsel. Patrick Stewart's kind of the uh, international man of mystery to a point with this front office. We hear his name a lot. He's well-respected. You've talked about him a little bit here, Greg, on the podcast. As far as his role goes, because what I read and what I've heard is, you know, okay, you have Wolf, who's got the final call. He'll be in control of the 53. As you just said, Highsmith will be the high-level advisor with him, kind of hand-in-hand working on things. Um, and that's within the context of everybody working together, of course. And then I hear about Patrick Stewart saying, well, he's going to do a little bit of everything. What the hell does that mean? Is he going to be working with the, with the scouting department and, and being kind of the in-between with those guys, with Highsmith and, and Wolf working more on NFL stuff? Like what, what is Patrick Stewart's role? Could you envision him doing here with the Patriots, given the names that are involved? I think my impression is that Patrick Stewart will be more aligned on the pro side, um, given his background with the Eagles and the Panthers. Um, you know, I think he did a lot of work last year on, um, you know, perspective trades and things like that and picking up guys off the street. I think Alonzo Highsmith, given, you know, he's coming straight from the college game, it would make more sense for him to be more, uh, on the draft side, but you know, Pat Stewart, he does do a little bit of everything. And, um, Pat Stewart's one of those guys. I know the, 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 uh, the preferred line or, you know, what the talking point out of, you know, this coaching search and all this stuff and, and what the front office is doing, everybody says, well, Elias Wolf's the only guy who's ever been any, any place else. That's not true. Pat Stewart has been other places. He's probably, yeah. he, at this point, he might have been uh, have more years outside of Foxborough than inside Foxborough. I'm not sure of that, but it's it's, it's very similar. Um, so he's one of these guys who has really good contacts around the league. That really that really helps out when it comes to uh, trades, cut downs, um, training camp trades, things like that. Like you know, going and scouting other professional games. I mean, he's not an advanced scout or anything. He's most of the time. You see him at the stadium at the Patriots games, but uh, I think he's just a, he's a really good resource that could fill the gaps in a lot of ways if there are. And and let's be honest, this is not this is a very small uh, front office staff. It's extremely small compared to the rest of the league. So Pat Stewart and Alonzo Highsmith are one of these guys. They, they're guys that can wear a lot of different hats. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. 
I love when my wife gets in the kitchen, starts making stuff for Super Bowls. And now that the Patriots aren't there, I actually get to be home and enjoy it with my family, which is nice. So I'm looking forward to it uh, this Super Bowl. Uh, FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in mass. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued at non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. The name everybody wants to hear about, Greg, and I don't think uh, for any reason other than for many people, concern, maybe some fright on Patriots fans when we talk about Matt Groh. Matt Groh has kind of been singled out as the polarizing figure now in this front office because of his loyalty to Belichick, how he came up, not really qualified for the title that he was given, and that's rather obvious with Elliot Wolf working on NFL matters. <laughs> but so Matt Gronow, he, he kind of settles in as the director of college scouting for all intents and purposes. First question about Matt Grow, and I know people want to know this. It's going to be a collaboration, as we've said. But how much of Matt Grow's power, if he even had power to begin with, how much of that is going to be usurped by this new structure? Like, is he is he fourth or fifth on the totem pole now? Has he really took a, taken a hit over the last day or two, given what we found out? Well, I mean, I I assume you mean in terms of when the Patriots make a personnel decision, whether yes. that's the draft or free agency or a trade, you know, what percentage is Matt Groh in that decision. So, right. I mean, he's going to be on the college scouting side. And let, let me just, because uh, I forgot this, let me just also say, you know, just to show, you know, Pat Stewart, the number of hats that he wears, like he was at the Senior Bowl with Macro in the front office. Like he wasn't back, you know, doing pro personnel stuff. So um, that's just interesting to note. I, I, I just think that Pat knows what he's doing. And so he does that. But back to grow. Um, in terms of the number three overall pick when they decide to do that or what they decide to do that, I would say that um, that macro would be in that decision probably 30, 33%. I mean, I think a, I think a bulk of it, it's going to be, you know, Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith sort of taking the information from macro. The, the, you know, they're all going to stack the board together and macro is going to have input on that. But, Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith know what they're doing as well. So I, I I don't see, you know, to me, when those decisions are made, I'm putting it on Elliot Wolf. He's going to be the primary football executive. It's going to be his name on everything. Could you see Gro gone within the next six months or so? I don't know his contract status, but right. or do you think they'll stand by him? Um, That's a really good question. <laughs> that I hadn't really thought about. Um, I think a lot of it would have to, it'll depend on what happens with the cycle with, you know, free agency first and then the draft. And I think it's a, I think it's a two way street. Do, does Elliot Wolf, does he like the vibe? Does, does, uh, does macro feel passed over? Um, most of the, again, I think we've talked about it before. Most of these guys in the front office, their contracts run through the draft um, because they've been working on the draft all year. They have proprietary information and you just don't want people walking out the door and going to say the bills and telling you like, Oh, well, this is the way our board was when I got let go. Um, so I think it'll be a two way street. Does, does, does macro feel passed over? Um, does he like the situation? Could he have a chance with somebody else like a former Patriot, like Monty Austin Fort or something like that? Um, you know, we'll have to see, but I, I would say, I, I think that's up in the air. I wouldn't say he's definitively here 
could be, but I, I think it's more of a uh, trial and error period for a lot of people. It, it is easy to say at this point that if this was a cage match between Wolf and Grow, Wolf obviously won it. And he, he takes the championship and Grow's the guy that gets his shoulders pinned to the mat. So you, you do wonder how he's going to react to that. Maybe he had his fixings on this idea of Bill Belichick landing somewhere else and him having a similar position with Bill as he had here in New England, and now that's been shot at least for this season. Uh, as far as Gro's role, so director of college scouting, I don't want to bore people here, but just let, let's give them an idea as to maybe some of the responsibilities that Gro will have in that position. Well, he, I, I assume he's going to oversee the whole college department and so you know the area scouts and stuff like that I mean he's he's there accumulating the reports um you know putting that in the Patriots system stacking the board preliminary stack recommend basically he prov he provides when they meet as a as a group he provides the um the recommendation of the college department this is where we see the guys this is what you know he he basically oversees the whole department and accumulates all the information and then you have Steve Cargile and Cam Williams underneath him, correct? Uh, yes, Steve Cargile. Um, at last, last we know of, he was director of pro scouting. But they all those guys get involved in the draft because you know once free agency's over, um, pretty much the pro stuff's done, and now you're looking at the draft. So to just kind of wrap it all up with with what Greg has said here over the past fifteen twenty minutes. The way the structure is going to work, look, they're going to collaborate, and that means, hey, everybody's voice is going to be heard. You're, you're going to sit in the room. You're going to throw your opinions out there. You're going to have your own thoughts on each player. And, you know, when it comes to college especially, you'll, you'll talk to Grow and, and Cargile and Cam Williams and Patrick Stewart will be involved. When it comes to NFL personnel and free agency, you're mostly looking at Wolf and Highsmith along with Patrick Stewart as well. So if you want to try to put together a power structure – I would take it it's really Wolf, Highsmith, Stewart, Grow, Cargile, Slash, Williams. That, that's kind of what we're looking at when it comes to influence within this organization. Another question I have for you, Greg, before we get into Gerard Mayo's contract situation, how does he play within all of this? Where is Mayo's voice? Would you put Mayo's voice alongside Elliot Wolf's, alongside Highsmith's? Or is he along the lines of, you know, the Patrick Stewart's of the world? I've got to imagine he's absolutely above the college cats. Where would you put Mayo in all of that? I would put somewhere around Highsmith. I mean, I think he has input. It's He's going to be coaching the team. Um, the team needs to take on the personality of the head coach. So I think he's going to have... I think he's going to have say for sure, but at the end of the day, and and I don't know this, but I'm just putting myself in the in the place of Elliot Wolf. You know, I get my first shot at this after years when I think I should have had the shot. I'm doing it my way. Like I'm I'm picking yeah. the players that I want to pick, and I'm putting my my stamp on it. And you know, collaboration is nice um, to a point, but you know, Elliot's very good. He's he's a great he's a great guy. Like he's going to make everybody feel valued and in, in here. Uh, that their voice is being heard. But at the end of the day, um, Wolf's got to make the call. He's going to be in that position. It's going to his name on it, and it's his show. Two more questions for you. The process of, of getting to where they got to here with Wolf. The Rooney Rule exists in the front office as well. Is, is there something that we're missing here? Were there interviews that were done and we haven't heard about them? Or is this some kind of, you know, trickeration with the contract and Wolf's title and Kraft found a loophole where he could just slide Wolf on up, and it is what it is. It's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I could just tell you my personal feelings on it, and it was you know somewhat similar to the Gerard Mayo situation. And you know, look, I know the simpletons out there will be like, "Well, we hired a black head coach, so didn't the Rooney Rule work?" Like that's not the purpose of the Rooney Rule. The purpose right. of the Rooney Rule is expose. Uh, top minority candidates uh, at the head coaching level and the GM level to as many owners as possible because you never know what can happen from that. You know, owners talk to each other and they can be like, yeah, we interviewed this guy. We're going to hire Mayo anyways, but holy cow, he was great. And, 
you should really take a close look at him. Like that's how things happen in the NFL. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, none of this sits well with me, um, for a variety of different reasons, including the Rooney rule. Um, you know, I do think my personal opinion is there, there's some trickeration going on in terms of, you know, maybe the Patriots, um, delay making anything official saying anything until maybe they can talk to some people like after the draft or something like that. But like, you know, I just think overall, I think the Patriots process with all of this has been absolute crap. Now I don't mind where they've ended up. Um, I don't mind Gerard Mayo at head coach. I don't mind the offensive coaching staff. Um, I, I, I really like the front office, but you know, and I don't know how you feel about this, Nick, but I, I'm sorry. Like, if you would have told me three months ago, and again, we had this discussion, and I said this at the time, it, like, when we're talking about moving on from Bill Belichick, I was like, I, I need to know what else they're going to do. What is this going to look like? Because if you're just going to keep the front office the same, which they have done, which is keep the coaching staff um, largely the same, they were talking about Bill O'Brien, but if you were going to tell me that they were going to hire Alex Van Pelt, as offensive coordinator um, with Gerard Mayo as head coach with no searches whatsoever anywhere around the NFL, I would have told you, no, I don't want that. No, just keep Bill. Like, I mean, just keep Bill and say, like, this is what we're going to do with the personnel department. We're bringing Josh McDaniels back because Billy O'Brien can't wait to get out of here. He's right here. Let McDaniels hire his, his own offensive staff. And I think the Patriots would be much better off. But the, the big X factor in that, and we don't know it, and and it's easy to say it wouldn't have happened, but you know, Bill agreeing to the personnel department changes and who has final say on the 53, it's easy to say in the abstract, but the reality probably is much different and it probably wouldn't have worked. But I just, for the Patriots for the first time in 25 years to come out of, of breaking with Bill Belichick with what they've done to me is just underwhelming because we don't know that they, they did everything to improve the organization because they didn't look outside their own five foot circle. You know, so to me, I have a problem with that. Process could have, and should have been much better regarding the head coach and the front office situation. Really don't have much of an issue. I know we're going to get into the coaching staff. Don't have much of an issue with how the OC thing was handled. Don't have an issue with the defensive coordinator because they, you know, they they talked to several guys about the defensive coordinator position and special teams of special teams. So it really comes down to the front office and head coach, and, and I think they should have had searches. I tend to agree with you, Greg, though, and I, I know I wrote about this at BSJ last week. When all is said and done, when you look at the results – and you look at what the rest of the league has done. It's not like I say, oh, man, the, the Patriots, what they ended up with, they got outclassed. I, I, I just don't. I think the league and the owners are going a certain way. It's a copycat league. And outside of John Harbaugh, you know, Jim Harbaugh, sorry, outside of Jim, you know, what hire is like, oh, woo, knock my socks off. I, I don't think anybody was getting all hot and bothered over Dave Canales two months ago. So, and that's all with all due respect to Dave. He might do a fantastic job. I hope he does for himself and his family. But, you know, I just, the, the process could have been better. There, I don't think there's much of a debate there. I am interested to see if anything comes out as far as what that process was with the front office. We, we heard that Mayo spoke to people externally. Now, I know you pushed back on that and said, well, guys have titles and you got to do it. A fit. And I understand all of that. But, you know, what were those conversations? Who did he talk to? Obviously, the Highsmith hire, they could easily go back to the NFL and say, oh, yeah, we, we interviewed Highsmith to be the director of player personnel, and we just decided to elevate Elliott. So there, there's a couple of ways they can get through with this. I do think it's a break when you have Bill Belichick making the final calls and you don't have that GM title so you can have this fluidity. I also wonder, as far as time goes, you know, if you were going to go, you know, full throttle, so to speak, to use Tom Warner's terrible uh, expression, if you went full throttle with head coach and GM, that might have taken a pretty long time. You know, I mean, Washington just got their head coach, 
and they brought in Adam Peters really early. So, you know, how long would that have taken? You've got a lot of decisions to make here with this football team. About one-third of your roster is walking to free agency. So there's a lot of stuff you got to sift through. And I wonder if they looked at it from an efficiency standpoint, which brings me to this. You mentioned the staff is still small. The possibility slash probability, Greg, of them maybe adding an outside voice or voices once the draft is over. Yeah, I think that's certainly possible. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they could bring in, you know, certain guys like, you know, Ziegler or Robinson who have been around, who, who you know, know some of these guys and know the way, way the Patriots way of doing things. Um, you know, do I think they're going to bring in some sort of like football czar or something at some point? Uh, probably not, but I could see, I think basically they're going to try to get through this period, which of course is one of the most crucial in Patriots history. Um, so I don't like it being a Petri dish for what's going to go on with the Patriots long-term, but I could see them getting through this and, and Elliot or Mayo or whoever, you know, in combination talking to the crafts and say like, look, we've been through this. This is what we need to do. And we need you to guys to sign on the sign off on this and also bankroll it, which I do think is sort of the elephant in the room, how much the crafts want to bankroll much of anything at this point. All right, let's get back to Mayo. You were on Felgram as yesterday and you mentioned something about a $10 million buyout. Tell the fine people about it. So, you know, I'm just doing sports talk radio and, and, uh, you know, just <laughs> telling people, you know, I, I wasn't writing a story or anything like that or sourcing or anything. So this isn't fact based, but I can tell you, I multiple people at the senior bowl told me that the, the talk are, around the league is that Gerard Mayo's buyout is, was $10 million. If, if the crafts decided that they didn't want to go with the succession plan and they wanted to say hire Mike Rabel or something like that, not only where the craft's going to have to pay off Bill Belichick, which is probably about $25 million. Uh, they were going to have to cut Gerard Mayo a check for $10 million. And um, so that's, that's what I told them. And that's sort of the status of it. You know, my, I I'm just, I'm just incredulous about this. I think, I think the, the I, I'll just say this, the crafts better be right on everything that they do. If this gets worse, if this is bad, it's on the crafts a hundred percent. Um, you know, wh- not only was it ridiculous to give Gerard Mayo the succession language when the only time it's been used before is with planned retirements with almost universally guys who had contract offers to be head coaches in the National Football League, but they didn't want to leave and they wanted to su- 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 succeed their boss. But here in this case, for whatever reason, the crafts decided to give Gerard Mayo that that contract leg, uh, language when Bill Belichick wasn't retiring anytime soon, has never even talked about retirement, and he never came close to a head coaching offer. So not only did they put that language in, but they give him a $10 million buyout. I mean, who the F are we kidding? Like, what were they doing? <laughs> who were they competing against? What the hell are they doing? What was so great about Gerard Mayo that they couldn't let him go be a DC or something like someplace else? Nobody was hiring Gerard Mayo to be their head coach. So to me, I don't know if it's the the crafts believing in Gerard Mayo this much or Gerard Mayo pulling the wool over the crafts' eyes uh, or a combination of both. But whatever it is, um, you know, if this does not go well, we will look back and just be like, what the hell were the crafts doing? Yeah, it's bananas, man. It's it's straight up bananas, and I, I don't understand it. I don't understand the urgency that they showed with this. The way they handled Mayo, he's got to be, in their eyes, like a future Hall of Fame coach. T- to go through mm-hmm. everything that they went through with him, to have it in writing, to you know have a buyout, even if it's not $10 million, what if it's, you know, even if it's five, six, seven, whatever it is, to have a buyout is like, man, oh, man, like you must be smitten with this dude. And that that trip to Israel did some wonders. On a side note, shout out to Gerard Mayo. I'm going to separate the handling of Mayo and, and give the man some credit. My man, they, they say he's really good in the business world. My man cut a hell of a deal here. He got his name on that paper to succeed the greatest coach of all time and got a, a multi-million dollar buyout without being a defensive coordinator. 
Shout out to you, Gerard, and whoever is your agent or whoever was advising you at the time. Man, oh, man, that is putting in some work. That is impressive. I don't get it. The game is the game, no doubt. No doubt about that. I I don't get it from the craft side, but Mayo, you did good. All right, let's talk about Brian Belichick for a minute. Steve Belichick to Washington. Bill Belichick to Nantucket. Brian Belichick staying here in New England. Your thoughts, Greg? Mm, I mean, it's certainly an interesting choice from Mayo. I mean, I do think I do think a lot of Brian as a coach, um, since he was even younger and sort of a neophyte on the staff. I mean, I've people rave to me about how smart he is, that he's he's more like his father than Steve is. Um, you know, but I think he you know, he's got a young family. He also had the health issue um that I think he's still dealing with. And I think I think uh I think he looked around, but I think the prospect of him, um, you know, picking up and moving, I don't think it's something that he really wanted to do. And, uh, you know, Gerard, Gerard did, uh, did the old man a favor and, and kept his son put, but I mean, I, it's an interesting choice because, um, in a lot of ways, it looks like they're moving on from Belichick and, and, and Mayo wanted to move on from Belichick loyalists, um, but he's keeping one in the hen house. So uh, that can be interesting. You wonder if this would have ever happened if uh, Bill got a job. We don't know. We'll never right. know. But I find it hard to believe that it would have happened, especially with, with Steve bouncing to Washington. I think Brian would have ended up on Papa's staff. But, hey, we don't know. I, I don't mind the move, by the way. I think he's done a good job with the safeties. You could sit there and scream about Duggar. I think that's a Bill problem because you failed to – fill the free safety role and Duggar had a really tough time transitioning into that role for you know the first at least couple of months of the season but you look at Jabril Peppers and what he's done you look at Duggar and and how he you know kind of came onto the scene and and made an impact relatively early he's worked with different level guys you know he's he's worked with veterans he's worked with youngsters he's gotten guys to to get the most out of their versatility and I also like the idea of the continuity on the defensive end, we've talked about this. I have no issue with the defense. Top 10 in DVOA last year. They've been good. So keeping that continuity with Covington and Mayo, and of course you've got Brian coming back. We don't know if Mike Pellegrino is going to be around uh, for the cornerback situation. Uh, we'll see if that's the case. They still have to fill the linebacker spot. You, you wonder who might do that. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But as far as just Brian Belichick, I like the idea. You need you need to make sure you have some continuity on that back end of the defense because Covington worked defensive line. Mayo was a front seven guy. So have somebody back there with the experience to work with those DBs. I think it's a, a good idea. All right, before we get to the coaching staff in full, you have been bothered by something. And so mm-hmm. I want to let you get this off of your chest before we move forward because I, I want you totally yes. focused on something else, Greg. Greg is unhappy with the excuses that have been made for Gerard Mayo. Yes. Now, just as a precursor, this this is a jumping off point and sort of a, uh, a counter to my friend Michael Hawley because I heard him on Boston Sports Tonight last night and they played the clip of me uh, talking about Gerard Mayo and how he shouldn't be let off the hook. That that I heard, had heard Felger and other people say, oh, well, Gerard Mayo is being set up to fail. And, um, and including, including that in that was, you know, you can't tell me that Gerard Mayo, when he was dreaming about being an NFL head coach and all the plans he was going to have, he was like, yeah, I'm going to get Alex Van Pelt as my offensive coordinator, you know, because they were so tough to scheme against when we whooped their ass the previous two seasons. Um, and their offense didn't do Jack against us. Um, and you know, I'm sorry, but. Uh, Gerard Mayo probably doesn't know Alex Van Pelt from Dick Van Patten um, for crying out loud. So, um, so, at, but my, but my point is, is that, and I heard Michael Holly last night because they're, they're already making excuses and, and Bert's been part of this as well. And I love those guys and they could say whatever they want. And I had the most respect for them. Um, they do a great job of what they do. Um, but I do think there is a lot of excuse making for Gerard Mayo. I think there are a lot of punches being pulled on Gerard Mayo. And I think there are reasons for that, that our smart listeners and, and readers can discern for themselves. But, you know, you can't 
I'm sorry, but you can't, at the end of the day, you can't say, well, Gerard Mayo, like Bert says that Shane Waldron would have been the home run hire and basically point the finger as they didn't offer enough money. Look at Chicago was really was really aggressive and got Shane Waldron and you know gave him the money and gave him the years. I mean, Shane Waldron went to work for a head coach in Matt Eberflus who might get fired in a year. And if it's true that if the Patriots wanted to get somebody, all they had to do was give contract and money. Like, and they probably could have gotten anybody. And a lot of people would have said, like, that's a good situation because Gerard Mayo is a first time head coach. The ownership loves them. Like, you know, yeah, their their talent sucks. Nobody cares about the talent. They just want to know what their contract terms are and what kind of power they're going to have and things like that. But at the end of the day, what matters, like Gerard Mayo is is responsible for what happens on this staff. Like Gerard Mayo can't have it both ways. He can't, you know, pull the wool over the eyes of the crafts and call him thunder at the press conference 50 times. And then all of a sudden say, well, he's not doing right by me. He signed the succession contract language. He's He's played as a player. He's been a coach for the Crafts. He's been to Israel. He calls them Thunder. He knows exactly what Robert Kraft is going to do. And if he didn't know, if he didn't know that the Crafts were going to say, we're not going to spend $4 million for Nick Cayley, or we're not going to five or six for Shane Waldron, then that's on Mayo. He agreed to this. He didn't have to sign that contract. He didn't have to uphold that contract if he didn't want to. If he didn't want, if he doesn't think he can be a success because of the crafts, don't take the job. So at the end of the day, I mean, he hasn't even started the job yet, and people are already making excuses for him. No, at the end of the day, he's he's a first time head coach. He took this job. So when all is said and done, it's on Gerard Mayo. If it didn't work out, he's not a victim. He's in this. Greg, I love you, but I can't disagree with you more. Uh, okay, let's hear se- it. Several different reasons why. Uh, the Shane Waldron thing, you didn't say it, but I, I forget who said it. It might have been Burt. It might have been somebody else. But they, it might have been Phil Perry. I, I, I've listened to so much stuff, and so much stuff has been going on. But somebody had said along the lines of like, oh, well, they were if they showed urgency with Shane Waldron, they went after him and, and got their guy. That, so as you said with Mayo, we can't have it both ways. Okay, we, we just can't have it both ways. And I'm not saying you were doing this, Greg, but you can't bitch about no process for the head coach and general manager and not going through the interviews and not talking to people and not doing this and not doing that. And then complain or criticize the fact that they talk to too many people for the OC job. Like, you got to pick a lane here. It's either go get your guy and get it done and, and, and go with the people that, that you love and, and, and just do it. Or you go through a legitimate process. The OC process to me was a legitimate process. They, they talked to a lot of different guys with McVay and Shanahan backgrounds. They went through the first round of interviews. So I don't have an issue with talking to a number of dudes, especially with the fact that Gerard Mayo's never done anything with the offense. Just like we want people to collect information from the front office and how teams might do things and how head coaches might do things differently. I don't think it's a bad idea that Gerard spoke to a lot of guys and said, okay, what's your vision? What's your philosophy? What do you think? That's number one. Number two, uh, Shane Waldron. Can I, can I counter okay. this point like right here? Sure. Let's stop here. And Okay. So my counter to that is I do think you can have it both ways. Um, first of all, in a normal functioning organization, I mean, if it depends on what route you're going. And obviously they went with the head coach first and the GM. So, you know, a lot of other places you hire the GM and with basically the vision and part of the interview process is this is who's going to be my head coach. So there's not much of a process after that. So like, I just think the offensive coordinator search is, I don't think you can group them together with GM and head coach um, searches. That to me is different. When you hire a head coach and the Patriots hired a head coach, those guys already know who is going to be their offensive coordinator. And, and you don't do a search. You want the head coach, to have his handpick offensive coordinator that he's been thinking about for years, that he's already knows the scheme, he knows the person. That's why those things move quickly because yeah, these we people can't, are like, but we I want treat, that guy. Here's the problem, though. We can't treat Mayo like everybody else. Mayo doesn't have a personal relationship with anybody outside of New England. He's not. He hasn't worked with people. He hasn't worked with these OCs. So if you're Raheem Morris, it's easy for you to say, Zach Robinson's my guy. Come on, Zach. Like, 
That's how it works. If you don't have a personal relationship, then you do interview OC candidates. Then don't hire Mayo then. That's like a, if he that, doesn't have a plan, that's a, like that's how you that's get a, a job in the National Football League. No, that's is a you say this is going to be my OC. It's this is what we're going to do on offense. Greg. Mayo didn't have anything. It's a different conversation about don't hire Mayo. Your your basic your basic thought is Mayo didn't have a plan and he should be he should be crucified for not having a plan. I disagree he didn't have a plan. He yeah. clearly had a plan. Clearly. He his his plan was Marquise Williams as special teams coordinator. Marquise turned him down to stay in Atlanta because he has four kids. That's not on Mayo. It was clear he wanted to promote Covington. Okay, check. So it really comes down to the offensive coordinator. And so mm-hmm. what we know is that Mayo, according to all the reports, unless reporters are lying to me, I can only I can only go off of the information that has been written about this. Kaylee was the guy. Kaylee was the guy that Mayo wanted. Okay. So if Mayo had Kaylee as the plan, is it Mayo's fault that he can't offer Kaylee five million, six million dollars because Kraft cuts it off at a certain point? Like that's yes. not an excuse. I mean, he needs to he needs to know if if he's going to take the head job, you need to know is, is this a good job? Am I going to have all the resources? Yes or no? If it's no, don't take the job. But how's he supposed to know how much Kaylee's going to ask for? Like you don't know that you like maybe Kaylee had a different idea in what he was going to ask for, and then he sat there and thought, oh, this is a shit sandwich. Like. I'm realizing now that Zach Robinson just left because Raheem Morris just got a job. Kaylee didn't know that. Maybe Kaylee didn't know Morris was going to get hired in Atlanta. He didn't know that Zach Robinson was going to leave L.A. He wasn't 100% certain on that. So you start to see things happen. You see Morris leave. You see Zach Robinson leave with Morris. And now if you're Kaylee, you look at it and you say, I can replace Zach Robinson now. So if I'm Nick Kaylee, I have even more leverage than I had at the beginning of this offseason because now I can go back to Mayo and I could say, hey, pay me this because if you don't pay me this, I'm going to go be the offensive coordinator for Sean McVay and I'll just revisit the situation a year from now. So I don't know how Mayo would have known exactly what Kaylee would have asked for. And so it doesn't you, matter. Pay the freight. If he's your guy, if he's the plan, pay the freight. This is your it? plan. This who's is your guy. It? This is your prince at head Does coach. Gerard Mayo pay pay it? It? Does Gerard Mayo pay it? Does Gerard Mayo pay it? No, but he works for the guy. He agreed to work for the guy that writes okay, the so check. Okay, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Let, let's have a let's have a real world analogy here. Let's say that uh, John Corrales wants to go cover the NBA Finals. Okay, he mm-hmm. that's what he wants to do. It's going to cost you ten thousand dollars. It's going to cost Boston Sports Journal ten thousand dollars. Corrales really wants to do it, but guess what? Greg Bedard has a budget, and Greg Bedard tells mm-hmm. John Corrales, "We're not paying ten grand for you to go. So come up with right. another plan." This happens in every walk of life, Greg, in every walk yeah, but of I life. Give John, John already knows up front when he took the job that uh, my, my policy on, uh, on road trips and we're not going to, we're not going to, we're going to, on road trips. And if it gets too expensive, we're not going to do it. We're going to find a different way. Yeah, but Mayo did it. not have um, that information. May, Mayo, absolutely. Okay. Let's, let's say Mayo walks into this situation and says, Kaylee's my guy. Let's just, that's the hypothetical. Kaylee's my guy. Yeah. You go through the interview process. Mayo knows what he has to spend on the OC. And he says, this is what we've got. Kaylee comes back and says, this is what I want. Mayo comes back and says, well, this is what we've got. We have, first of all, no idea what Kaylee asked for. Okay, It's rumor. It's innuendo. He might ask for $4 million, $5 million, $6 million, $7, Nobody knows. And if somebody knows, they haven't reported it. So if you're not willing to report it, you shouldn't be willing to talk about it. So let's say Nick Kaylee comes out and says, I want... I want $5 million. And mm-hmm. Mayo knows that the Crafts are only going to be willing to go up to like $3.5 million, right? Because maybe Bill O'Brien made $4 million last year. Who the hell knows? So Mayo... What's that? I said, I said don't, don't take the job. Just like, John, don't take the job with me if you, if you really want to cover the NBA Finals. He both agreed but to if, take the job. He, but you're, not, you're, you're mixing John's role with Gerard Mayo's role. Let's say, let's get back to the example. Nick Cayley is entertaining the idea of coming. He went through two interviews, so we know we know that he would be willing to take the job most likely unless he just loves wasting his time. Mm-hmm. And so you know you have $4 million. So you offer Cayley $4 million. Cayley comes back and says, I want $6 million. So now we expect Mayo to go back to Kraft and get $2 million extra dollars per year to bring Nick Cayley in? Like, that to me is is ridiculous. Like Mayo is an employee. He can only do so much. It's not like he can put a gun to 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 the head of Robert Kraft and say, "Hey Robert, 
I know we went over this and you were willing to give $4 million, but really this is my guy. Can we go up to $6 million? Kraft's going to say, piss off. Go, go find option number two. And so, like, I don't think it's like, it's just looking at the situation realistically. Like, Zach Robinson wasn't coming here. He has a relationship with Raheem Morris. We've talked about that. The Rolodex, the idea of relationships. So Zach Robinson was off the board. Nick Cayley reportedly wanted too much money. So I don't know what Gerard Mayo and his situation. Who said too much money? Who said they, it, he, I haven't seen anybody say he wanted too much money. I said that he asked for money that the that that the Patriots wouldn't pay. I mean, that's the scuttlebutt that that. Okay, that, well, <coughs> I mean, whatever. So he didn't ask for too much. He asked for a certain amount of money that was judged by New England. And again, the New England Patriots are not Gerard Mayo. The New England Patriots are the crafts. When you talk about financial decisions at that level, the Patriots thought it was too much money. I I will only speak from experience. I I worked as a program director out in Sacramento for a year and a half. And there's a lot of things that happen in radio. For example, I don't have a job right now, right? There's a lot of different things that go into decisions that are made. And so as a program director... I could go in. I I hired my co-host in Sacramento. I was told a certain amount of money by my management that I was able to spend on that position. I got my number one guy. I had my number one guy in the crosshairs. I eventually was able to hire my number one guy. But in negotiations, my number one guy wanted more than management was looking at at first. Now, I was able to budge management a little bit, but if my number one target wasn't willing to come down a little bit and meet in that middle, the deal doesn't get done. So you can only push management so far. You can only push ownership so far. And so I just, I don't put that on Mayo. I put that on the crafts. If it's a money situation, that's on Robert. It's not on Gerard. And I I would also mention that- let me just I'll just say because we're we're just going to go round and round in circles because like I'm not going to budge and you're not going to budge but I think it's to me it is um it's inappropriate to conflate the real world to the NFL they're they're not the same and my my bottom line and my opinion on this is if Gerard Mayo who was in a rush to be an NFL head coach if he didn't get in writing from the crafts in his succession contract that he would have an unlimited budget to hire whoever he wanted to be successful, don't take the job. And I mean, because at the end of the day, it's like when I took the job at Sports Illustrated, it turned out to be a disaster for me. Nobody freaking cares. At the end of the day, I ended up getting laid off at Sports Illustrated. It was my fault. I took the job. You know, did they put me in position? No, but at the end of the day, it's my fault that has ramifications for my family. And Nobody's going to remember. Nobody's going to care what the circumstances were. Nobody's going to care that I wasn't put in position to succeed. All they're going to know is I left the globe. I went to SI and I got laid off three years later for for economic reasons. And so at the end of the day, Gerard Mayo is going to be a successful head coach. Yes or no. Nobody is going uh, unless people around here hold hold long memories. Nobody's going to remember the circumstances. Gerard Mayo might get one shot at this. And if if he agreed to take a job where he had to cheap out on his offensive freaking coordinator, then that's – I'm sorry, that's on him. I'm not changing my mind about it. Conflating reality in the NFL, I disagree with that statement. I think you're just – I'm just looking at it as management and hiring, whether it's the NFL at $10 million or it's somebody who's making hundred grand or whatever, working in media or whatever they're making. I'm just looking at the dynamics between management and ownership. And I'm looking at the dynamics between hiring somebody and trying to get a deal done. Negotiations are negotiations, whether it's NFL negotiations or you're negotiating for a carton of milk on the corner of the street. Same damn thing. Different levels of money, same tactics, same situations. I would push back on you and say this as far as Mayo. Then don't take the job. Greg, you've said it. I've said it. We all say it. There's only 32 32 jobs in the NFL, my friend. And if you're looking at If you're Gerard Mayo and you're looking at, okay, I don't know what my future is going to be in the NFL. I don't even know if I could go get a D.C. job somewhere else. I might have to go be a linebackers coach for two, three years somewhere, then become a D.C., then become a head coach. So I can either 
be the head coach of the Patriots, working with an ownership group that I've known my entire professional life, and have that in hand, or I can say, thanks but no thanks, I'm jumping into the NFL wilderness. I'm not going to sit here, personally, you can do what you like, anybody can do what they like, we're all opinions, right? It's just all opinions. If I'm Gerard Mayo, I'm not turning this opportunity down. If I'm Gerard Mayo, I say, okay, that's the guy I want. And if, if there's issue with money, I'm going to find a way to make this work. That's how my brain operates. That's, and it's subjective to each person. The way I live my life is I'm going to make a decision in the moment. You talk about what happened with Sports Illustrated. I'm sorry. As your friend, I think you're giving yourself way too hard of a time. You have no idea what's going to happen once you sign a contract. You have no clue. And so all you can do is make the best decision for yourself, your career, in the moment when that situation and opportunity is presented to you. And you do that with what you know in that moment. If we had crystal balls, we'd all make perfect decisions. That's why life at times sucks. And if I'm Gerard Mayo and I have, before Belichick's even out of town, I have a head coaching job on a platter in front of me, and it's my ultimate goal to do that, then I look at it and say, hey, man, I get one of 32. I'm not Ben Johnson. I'm not an offensive coordinator. I'm seeing what's happening in this league. Everybody's hiring these young offensive guys from Shanahan and McVay. Oh, and by the way, I happen to be black. And I know the numbers game that gets played. I know why there's a Rooney rule in the first place. So somebody with my background, I have an opportunity to to be a head coach of an organization. If I turn that down, I may never get that opportunity again. And so I'm not going to sit there and criticize him for taking that job. All right, let's get to the coaching staff. Good stuff. Quickly, um, just your overall thoughts, Greg. So, By the way, let me just say for the record, uh, I agree to disagree on that. That's all. On what? On the point you just made. Like, I I just... What that if you disagree one of thirty two okay. you need to take that like I just I, I didn't just say you need to take that. it you don't need to do anything Mayo could have said thanks but no thanks I'm just saying I understand Mayo saying yes I'll take the job given the given the situation in the league and how difficult it is to get that job I totally understand him saying yes and I would not hold it against him for accepting an NFL head coaching job I'm sorry I wouldn't I would say well yeah it's, it's no matter where I go. So I won't be able to get maybe as much money as I want for my coordinators, but at least I know the owner. At least I'm living in the area I've lived my entire professional career. At least I know I have DeMarcus Covington on this staff, and at least I know this roster, and at least I know the players that are on the roster that I want to keep, and I have personal relationships with them. So I just think it, it's, it's to me it's too easy to just say, oh, well, he should have just you know walked away from it and if it wasn't perfect. No job is perfect. You got pros and cons. Van Pelt, McAdoo. We know those two guys. T.C. McCartney as it added as the quarterback's coach. Scott Peters will be the offensive line coach. Just your thoughts on McCartney, Peters, and, and what this staff right now, Greg, looks like offensively. I mean, I'll just say my, my you know, 10,000 feet, I'm, I'm underwhelmed by it. Um, you know, I don't think that anybody at any point wanted to uh, employ the Alex Van Pelt offense um but i don't think it's bad and and i and i like how there's alignment on the coaching staff these guys are they know the offense they know each other that's going to be good so at least this offense is going to be consistently um middle of the road as far as scheme and things like that and then it's up to getting the players they just need better players i'm sure you know if they get um marvin harrison jr i'm sure it'll be um you know great in, in this scheme and i think it you know, it, like we talked about before, there's they have longevity. I don't think any of these guys are going any place. I mean, you're a little bit underwhelmed because it's basically a coaching staff of a bunch of people who got fired and passed over. But at least they came together. They all have alignment, and they know what they're doing, and they're professional coaches, and they have pretty good reputations. You know, yeah, Stefanski didn't want a lot of them and, you know, or, you know, pass them over for certain things. Like, you know, how does Scott Peters – how is he Bill Callahan's understudy for four years? And when Callahan moves on, Peters t- isn't automatically promoted. And yeah. the Browns get the offensive line coach that the Patriots wanted, but 
the Patriots get the offensive line coach that the Browns passed him over for. So um, that stuff is underwhelming. But at the end of the day, I think these guys are good coaches. They know what they're doing. There's alignment. It's not a mismatch where Bill O'Brien's the offensive coordinator and they're sticking them with Adrian Clem and Troy Brown and Vinny Sanceri, who was a safety and knew nothing about running back. Like, we're done with that. At least this is a professional coaching staff. These guys have done it. They have worked together. And I think that's a that's a, certainly a, a couple steps in the right direction for what's been going on here the previous two years. Rapid fire style before we get to the Super Bowl pick. Wide receivers coach, Troy Brown back, or do they bring somebody else into the fold? Just my guess. I, I don't have any inf- information. I I think they're going to bring somebody else into the fold. Do, do I rule out Troy Brown sticking around as a uh you know, maybe keeping his title, being around, uh, maybe being more of the returners coach or something like that. No, I don't rule that out. But I think in this scheme, in the West Coast offense, like it's you have to get a teacher, a tactician at wide receivers coach, somebody who knows the system. It's all predicated on steps and precision and all that stuff. And I'm sorry, but um, Troy Brown isn't going to help them there. They need a West Coast guy at wide receivers coach. Will Long. Is he staying on as tight ends coach? Haven't heard his name. Um, you would think not. Um, you know, maybe there, maybe he's waiting to see what happens with Bill O'Brien, who yeah. apparently is in the mix at Boston College. I could definitely see Will and and actually some of these guys, some of the Patriots going over um, with Bill O'Brien, certainly as his guys from when he was at the Texans and Alabama and stuff like that. But um, I think. I think Long's a really good coach. I, I was surprised that they yeah, – I guess they – so they they are looking for tight ends. So T.C. McCartney, who coached tight ends at the Browns, is going to coach quarterbacks for the Patriots. So I think Long stays. I think, yeah, I, I think he should stay. Pellegrino, defensively, D-backs coach, cornerbacks coach, stay or go? Um – I am okay with him staying, but of course that's going to be Gerard and Demarcus Covington's call. I mean, we'll we'll get the litmus test on whether they think he's a good coach or not. If he stays, he is. Linebackers coach. Uh, they interviewed Hodges, Mike Hodges from the Saints. We haven't heard his name since. There's been some kind of you know. I know they had some fun. I think on on Twitter X or whatever. But uh, Dante Hightower, and I know some people thought that Gerard might bring in some former players. Is that kind of is that still on the table, or do you think we've moved on from that? I don't know about Hightower. I have I have heard Ninkovich's name um, being connected with um, you know possible coaching staff. I think this is where uh, Alonzo Highsmith, Elliott um, could get involved. Um, you know, McAdoo, of course, coach with the Giants. He might have some some thoughts. I mean, you know, my first thought if they kept up the the Green Bay connections, Winston Moss, who was an excellent. Oh, inside yeah. linebackers coach for the Packers. He yep. went to the UFL at one point. Um, I think he's tremendous, and I think that I think Gerard would love him. I think Demarcus would loving love him. Um, and also, I wouldn't rule out that Pat Stewart. Um, you know, sh- uh, there there were guys that he worked with previously in Philly and in Carolina, like a Sean Desai, who was the Eagles' defensive coordinator. Um, who got fired. I don't know if he's landed any place yet. I don't know if he coaches linebackers, but um, I'm sure Pat Stewart would have some names because he's, you know, the Eagles and and the Panthers where he worked, they had some pretty good defenses. Just looking up the side. I don't think he's gone anywhere. All right, we'll have the Super Bowl pick in a minute. First, check him out over at BSJ, Bedard and Giardi. So maybe Bedard can pay Corrales to go f- cover the finals for $10,000. You can go check them out for 50 bucks per year. <laughs> Boston Sports Journal, great work by everybody involved. And also, I remind you, the episode is brought to you by FanDuel, exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network, 200 bucks in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Okay, Super Bowl on Sunday. The FanDuel line right now, Greg, is 49ers minus 2.5. The overrun is 47.5. I'll go first. I'll go quickly. I am going with Patrick Mahomes. When the spread is a, is, is a field goal or less, I have a very difficult time going against Patrick. I think uh, Spags will have something for Purdy. And I'll, I'll go with uh, the Chiefs. And I'll actually go with the under. It might be lower scoring than we think. Yeah, I I agree with you. I just think that you know I try to look at the the coaches matchup and the quarterback matchup, and I think that Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan are just about a draw. Even though I think 
I think Reed's better on his feet, um, and Shanahan is worse as the game goes on. So advantage for the Chiefs, a slight advantage for the Chiefs there. I think that you are absolutely right. We've seen Spags in the big game time and time again. You know, even if it's against the the Patriots twice, where you know he he comes up with something really good, and and he is going to be able to do that. Um, and I think that I, I like him over Steve Wilkes certainly. And I think that I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with the over. I think it's going to be, oh. I think it's somewhere uh, 30, uh, 30, 27, something wow. like that, 49ers. You're way over. You're way of 30, 27. It's confident over from Greg. Ah, this one was a lot of fun. I had fun. I hope Greg had Greg had fun. He, he battles. Felder. I had fun. I mean that that was that was like a sparring session. That was nothing. He's got a he's got a seriously. He's got to fight Felger and Maz every week for two hours. He's Greg. I'm Nick. Hopefully mm-hmm. you enjoyed it at home. Everybody have a great weekend. Be safe. Be well. Don't be knuckleheads. Enjoy the Super Bowl on Sunday. We'll be back next week.